0: Ladies and gentlemen. A man who has inspired millions. Who has become renowned for not giving a flying fuck. A man who wanted to start selling dating advice online. But instead, became a blogger. Introducing Mom Manson. One, two, three, four.
1: Hi everyone, and welcome to the fifth episode of Wilfrid: What I Learned from Reading, an educational discourse. Before I begin, can I ask you to rate the pod five stars right quick? I got a hankering for some more listens. Don't forget also to follow the podcast and ringle dingle shmingle that bell so you don't miss another episode. Did you catch week three and four? Now those were solid. In case you weren't aware, the intro from last week was a teaser for this episode. I'm trying to keep them fresh, but also tease the next episode coming up. Just so you know, this intro was no different so get to guessing. Sorry if I brutalised the accent. Aussies, you know, they're not really known for their acting. Nah, 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 come on now. Just forget about the Hemsworths. One of them started out on a soap. Can you believe that? He's Thor now. Anyways, thanks so much for dapping up the pod. It's good to have you. Before I start, I want to say thank you to everyone who has supported me so far. Today, we have listeners in Australia, Azerbaijan, Belgium, USA, Indonesia, UK, Switzerland, and Jamaica. I know it's hard to believe, but I'm a fan of your bobsled team. Hey! Anyway, if you could do me a massive favor and tell your family and friends about Wilfred, that'd be grouse. Also, people seem to really like these skit intros, so shall they remain. I've already introduced this week's author in my inspirational speaker type intro, but anyway, he's Mark Manson. He's a superstar blogger turned author who brings us this refreshing slap of reality. This book will allow the reader to gain and build resilience, happiness and freedom, according to Ryan Holiday, a successful author in his own right. I selected this book for our fifth installment as it's as much a pat on the back as a slap in the face, as Mark's website puts it. Manson is born and raised in the Lone Star State, Texas and went to college in Boston. Although I've never heard him speak, I'm going to assume he sounds like a combination of Ethan Hawke and Marky Mark. Ooh, dreamy. Anyways, what follows is a summary of what I've learned from reading, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. A counterintuitive approach to living a good life. Originally, to keep the pod PG, I was gonna censor the naughty F word, don't roll your eyes at me, youngin. I know you millennials like your smash dabbo when your curse words. But after writing the script, something was missing. I can see why the publishers greenlit this book. Without the swearing and the brashness, it loses something. And that something is powerful. So even though my mum said swearing is wrong, I'm going to do it anyway.
0: Well, folks, mama's wrong again. <laughs>
1: no kind of saying it's you're wrong.
0: Mama's right.
1: You know the drill by now. At the top of every episode, I recommend buying a copy of the book of the week yourself, highlighting key points and taking notes. Contrary to most episodes, instead of creating my own three subheadings and subsequent parts to the discussion based on the author's writings, I have instead grouped the nine chapters of this book into three parts, which will be then addressed in order. The parts
0: of this discussion will include Try Happiness Special, Suffering Choosing Everything, and Failure No Die.
1: These seem like weird James Bond knockoff titles, but you will see why I've named them as such throughout the discussion. You will also notice that I use direct quotes, building on these using my own experiences or giving my own interpretations. I will also note that the direct quotes I provide remain the property of the author, and I do not claim ownership of any of these writings or ideas. Let's jump into the content.
0: Don't hold me back man, you can't keep me cooped up in here okay? I am a-
1: He just he just calms off a picker? He sure did. Cha-cha, let's go. Part one, try happiness special. Chapter one, don't try. No truly happy person feels the need to stand in front of a mirror and recite that she's happy. She just is. A confident man doesn't feel the need to prove that he's confident. Either you are or you're not. This chapter sounds more negative than it actually is. As stated by Chris Hemsworth, In a quote regarding the book in general it's a brutally honest and much needed reality check about our personal problems fears and expectations this chapter embodies this viewpoint as it's both jarring yet refreshing manson states that our crisis is no longer material it's existential it's spiritual as depression and anxiety rates have continued to rise in australia and the world over i tend to agree speaking to australia specifically 1 in 7 Aussies will experience depression in their lifetime. 1 in 4 will experience an anxiety condition in their lifetime. And 1 in 6 Australians is currently experiencing depression or anxiety or both. As per the statistics on beyondblue.org.au Manson states, The key to a good life is not giving a fuck about more. It's about giving a fuck about less. Giving a fuck about only what is true and immediate and important. The problem is that, Giving too many fucks is bad for your mental health. Reflect on what is of immediate importance to you. Then reflect on what in your life has been causing you distress recently. Do these align? If not, it may well be time to stop giving a fuck about those which don't. Your mental health may otherwise deteriorate, and as a result, as may your relationships, productivity, sleep schedule, food habits, education, and to what end. This cannot be forced either as Manson reflects on Alan Watts' backward law. The more you pursue feeling better all the time, the less satisfied you become, as pursuing something only reinforces the fact that you lack it in the first place. This is reinforced by his own statement, the desire for more positive experiences is itself a negative experience, and paradoxically, the acceptance of one's negative experience is itself a positive experience. In short, the more we divert, divide, scatter our attention on too much. We pay for it in happiness, authenticity of spirit, and sense of self. I would urge the listener to stay true to who they are and focus on what motivates and excites them, and to stay true to their values. If you're ever faced with a negative experience, fight through it. And if the situation slips your hold and you can't yourself regain it, then please seek the help of a professional, or at the very least, a close family member or friend you owe yourself that much, as well as those people you care about. Please remember this if you're going through a rough patch. Quote, Everything worthwhile in life is won through surmounting the associated negative experience. Life will throw curveballs at you, some of which will hit you harder than you could have imagined, but your support network can help you, again, or you deserve to seek it. Manson states, No matter what you do, life is comprised of failures, loss, regrets, and even death. But as Jordan Peterson states in his book, 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos, stand up straight with your shoulders back. It's literally rule one. I will tell you with the utmost assurance, you can get through this, and you will get through this. Quote, to not give a fuck is to stare down life's most terrifying and difficult challenges and still take action. Not gonna lie, I kind of blew out my voice on that intro. Chapter two. Happiness is the problem. Who you are is defined by what you're willing to struggle for. This chapter explores the reality that the age-old Jewish adage of this too shall pass is a little bit of a fallacy. Not in the sense that trying issues won't pass, they do. But more so that people seem to think, once I get past this issue, I'll be cruising. Well, you will, but most likely into yet another issue somewhere down the line. The false notion that you won't be faced with future hardship is frankly wrong. It's not a matter of if, but when. Sorry to say it, but as Manson states, the greatest truths in life are usually the most unpleasant to hear. Also stating, problems never stop, they merely get exchanged and or upgraded. This seems a little harsh and a little brash, but it isn't. The author is merely trying to break the distinguishingly positive false notion too many people are force-fed on social media which is merely a life highlight reel by the way. Ain't nobody posts their shit sandwich moments on social media. And those who do are frankly quite refreshing. Have you seen that lady that recreates model and celebrity pics with her mum rig? Absolutely wicked. Manson also writes, our struggles determine our successes. Our problems birth our happiness, along with slightly better, slightly upgraded problems. The longer we avoid and the longer we numb, the more painful it will be when we finally do confront our issues. Sounds like poetry. I won't talk too much on this, as I believe I was quite concise in the previous chapter summary. Confronting issues is paramount practice. Avoiding them is unhealthy and should be prevented. Mark states, pain in all forms is our body's most effective means of spurring action. If you think you don't have anyone to share your problems with, frankly, you're wrong. Don't let the negative emotions tell you otherwise. Talk to a trained professional, sibling, parent, caregiver, friend, colleague, or me. I'll listen. We've all been through it. Chapter 3. You are not special. When real traumatic shit happens in our lives, we begin to unconsciously feel as though we have problems that we're incapable of ever solving. Average is disgusting, right? T-Swifty fans will tell you exactly that. Preaching her quote, I'm intimidated by the fear of being average. Until they are red in the face and pass out from a shortage of oxygen. Ironically, this is exactly how long it takes a hero to break up with three boyfriends and write and record three more banger albums. But the Swifties are wrong, sorry to say, and Mark enforces this point in this chapter. We, in these current times, believe that we are special little snowflakes who are entitled to high paying salaries, special treatment at work, in restaurants, you name it. Fact is, those special little snowflakes aren't all that special, and they don't deserve a pay rise for checking their gram when they should be working. They aren't entitled to a company paid coffee every morning because their boss paid for one prior to a meeting that one time. And they certainly don't have the right to talk down to servers, enjoy your kale smoothie or bone broth with extra spit, by the way. Unfortunately for us millennials, yes, you wouldn't think it, but I'm one as well, considering how much I've been making fun of us, and certainly the Gen Zs, entitlement is the word of the day. Some of us attempt to break the mould, but I would ascertain that certainly Gen X and the baby boomers certainly would agree with the prior statement. But as stated earlier, we aren't special little snowflakes, and we don't deserve special treatment unless we earn it. We must stay humble in understanding our strengths and appreciating our weaknesses. As Manson states, a person who actually has a high self-worth is able to look at the negative parts of his character frankly and then acts to improve upon them. Understand your limitations, be humble in your strengths, and seek to improve your weaknesses. That is the way forward. Mark also shares a quite jarring quote with regards to overcoming adversity. This pertains quite highly to grit, perseverance, and coping strategies, which I have mentioned in previous episodes. Conversely, it must be understood that you aren't the only one facing issues. Everyone has their struggles, which also means yours aren't special. They may be unique, but they aren't special. Many people are in the same situation you're in and hyper-focus on your own problems, with little regard for others, especially within your immediate circle, may be considered as selfish and slapdash. This must be said, and also given the equal amount of focus as the points I have previously made. Marx states, often, it's in this realization that you and your problems are actually not privileged in their severity or pain. That is the first and most important step towards solving them. This does not negate my previous point. If you need help, then seek it. But don't be too ignorant in thinking that you're exclusive in your problems. Someone you care about heavily may need this help just as much, if not more. You may be that person for them. Please provide the support if they need it.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to take this time for a short intermission. Mr. Manson will resume his discussion in approximately 15 minutes. If you have a problem with this, I respectfully remind you that he simply does not give a flying fuck. Enjoy the break.
1: Part 2. Suffering Choosing Everything. Chapter 4. The Value of Suffering. One day, in retrospect, the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. Sigmund Freud. Simply, it's how we deal with these struggles mentioned previously which mould our character. As Mark writes, we get to control what our problems mean based on how we choose to think about them, the standard by which we choose to measure them. Values are the lens by which we view the world. It's the foundation on which we build our sense of self. It goes without saying, then, that good values may have a resounding impact on the kind of person you are, or at the very least, the person others view you as. Manson provides a blueprint for what positive or negative values a person may possess. The negative values, or shitty, as Manson puts it, include 1. Pleasure pleasure is the most superficial form of life satisfaction. 2. Material success. When people measure themselves not by their behavior, but by the status symbols they're able to collect. 3. Always being right. People who base their self-worth on being right about everything prevent themselves from learning from their mistakes. And lastly, 4. Staying positive. Denying negative emotions leads to experiencing deeper and more prolonged negative emotions and to emotional dysfunction. Manson also provides more simple parameters. There are good values being reality-based, socially constructive, and immediate and controllable. Opposite bad values are superstitious, socially destructive, and not immediate or controllable. Jeez, that chapter was short and sweet, wasn't it? Moving right along. Chapter five, you are always choosing. Nobody makes it through life without collecting a few scars on the way out. This chapter is about reframing through self awareness and empowerment of responsibility. Marx states We, individually, are responsible for everything in our lives, no matter the external circumstances. We don't always control what happens to us, but we always control how we interpret what happens to us, as well as how we respond. Whether we consciously recognize it or not, we are always responsible for our experiences. In my opinion, self awareness and self control are linked. We, as people, like to feel in control. When we feel that certain things are outside our control, we feel helpless and lost, which may lead to depressive tendencies. Mark writes, If you are miserable in your current situation, chances are it's because you feel like some part of it is outside your control. Unfortunately for us, we cannot and will not always be in complete control. There are too many variables in life. People who want to feel this way at all times, in all situations, become hermits. It's just not healthy. Life, inherently, has risks. We can limit or increase our likelihood of these risks, carrying consequences, but how much actual living would we be doing in this case? Mark confirms this, writing, When we feel that we are choosing our problems, we feel empowered. When we feel that our problems are being forced upon us, against our will, we feel victimized and miserable. This may occur through toxic relationships, the pressure of work-related forced fun events, Your hairdressing client unloading their problems at home on your tired shoulders. Your douchebag husband left you for a foreign harlot chasing a green card. Yada, yada, yada. This may directly be linked to Manson's quote. If the people in your relationships are doing hurtful things, it's likely you are too. You just don't realize it. Be objective, look inward, analyze, dissect, and improve. It's the only way forward. You may be causing just as many issues in the relationship as the other person. So be self-aware. Obviously, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to such an issue, but it is important to note this. Next, the idea of empowerment of responsibility is my appropriation of Mark's ideas within this chapter. Marx states, the more we choose to accept responsibility in our lives, the more power we will exercise over our lives. Once you have become self-aware enough through reflecting objectively on your relationship, the next logical step is to accept responsibility. If you have messed up, apologize. If you mean it, of course, they will know if you don't. If you don't talk to your father anymore because of an argument you started eight years ago and haven't reached out since due to being too proud, maybe you should. If you yelled at your spouse in front of your four year old, maybe explain to your kid that you were wrong in doing so. Responsibility is not only empowering, it's healthy, it's progressive, and it's heavily unappreciated. As I touched on briefly earlier, this must be sincere. If it's not, you are simply accepting fault. Responsibility and fault often appear together in our culture, Mark writes, but they're not the same thing. Fault is past tense. Responsibility is present tense. Fault results from the choices that have already been made. Responsibility results from the choices you're currently making, every second of every day. Put steps in place to act upon this apology or self-growth. It's only progressive if you mean it, and if you follow through. Quote, taking responsibility for your problems is far more important because that's where the real learning comes from. Chapter six, you're wrong about everything. Many people become so obsessed with being right about their life that they never end up actually living it. Is this you? Rather than listening actively and intently to the person speaking during an exchange of ideas, are you instead not listening at all? Are you instead dismissing each and every point they are making in your head if you're not rude while you simply wait for your turn to talk at them? Sound familiar? Geez, I hope not. But if so, it's far more common than you think. Jordan Peterson has spoken at length about this, as has Ben Shapiro. You're not listening. You're waiting to talk. But more importantly, they should know that they stand little to no chance of changing your mind. You're too pig-headed. If this isn't you, then I commend you. I like to think it's not me either, but it was most definitely past me. Quote, Instead of striving for certainty, we should be in constant search of doubt. Instead of looking to be right all the time, We should be looking for how we're wrong all the time, because we are. It took me a very, very long time to realize this, and even when I had, it took me an even longer amount of time to train this out of my wheelhouse. You need to train active listening. You need to train genuine interest in others and a sense of curiosity. Most importantly, you need to train the ability to accept alternate viewpoints, especially if you're the odd one out in a party of numerous people where all the others share the same viewpoint. Hate to break it to you, but probability dictates you don't have an enlightened stance, you're just plain wrong. Mark writes, If it's down to me being screwed up, or everyone else being screwed up, it is far, far, far more likely that I'm the one that's screwed up. Quote, Uncertainty is the root of all growth. The man who believes he knows everything learns nothing. The more we admit we don't know, the more opportunities we gain to learn. It's also important to understand that if you have built your identity around being the person who is always right, if anyone dares to challenge you or your views, you will initially clash with that person, refuse to change your stance or even consider theirs and perhaps turn that person away from being in your life. Such a person will also retain their title of king of the D-bags. Mark sums up this point a little more aptly stating, the more something threatens your identity, the more you will avoid it.
0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, first of all, I'd first like to apologise for swearing during the last break. My superior has alerted me that swearing is inappropriate, even at a freaking Mark Manson keynote, but rest assured that this will not occur again. There are refreshments, including tea and coffee, at stage left if you would like to partake, but if you could take your seats in five shakes of a donkey's schwantz, that would be much appreciated. Damn it Barbara! Oh shit, I'm definitely getting fired.
1: Chapter 7. Failure is the way forward. We can be truly successful only at something we're willing to fail at. If we're unwilling to fail, then we're unwilling to succeed. Not going to lie to you, I wrote a little, well yeah, a pretty big passage on this part. But it was strokingly, what did I just say? Stroker? I hardly know her. Strikingly similar to my notes from Atomic Habits, which was discussed in the very first episode of Wilfred. I'm going to narrow it down by discussing the nitty gritties and sharing quotes from Jocko Willink. Mark writes, Our pain often makes us stronger, more resilient, more grounded. Jocko talks at length regarding pain. When he talks of pain, people listen. He's a retired Navy SEAL, being highly decorated, and highly accomplished, and highly respected. Jocko says, when something sucks, Uh, you know what, I'll just play the clip.
0: When something sucks, good, good. It's going to make me tougher, and it's going to make us stronger.
1: The fact remains, emotional pain, physical pain, whatever you're facing, you can get through it. And when you do, chances are you'll be better for it. I don't really accept the premise of everything happens for a reason in the spiritual sense, but I do in the sense that we must all accept responsibility for the decisions we make and situations and adversities we are faced with. Oh, that wording is not great. Luckily, Manson wraps it up nicely writing just as one must suffer physical pain to build stronger bone and muscle one must suffer emotional pain to develop greater emotional resilience and a stronger sense of self increased compassion and generally happier life our most radical changes in perspective often happen at the tail end of our worst moments mark also talks on assertiveness of decision and action writing even when you think you do you really don't know what the fuck you're doing so really what is there to lose if you're stuck on a problem Don't sit there and think about it. Just start working on it. Don't just sit there, do something. The answers will follow. Action isn't just the effect of motivation. It's also the cause of it. Chapter 8. The Importance of Saying No We are defined by what we choose to reject. And if we reject nothing, we essentially have no identity at all. Without conflict, there can be no trust. You may be thinking, this kind of negates the points raised in chapter 6. Well, you're kind of right, but then again, kind of not. Yes, if you're the only person with an alternate opinion in a room full of cranky people, you're probably wrong. Equally, if all you say is yes, you're a yes man. If you're too agreeable, people will gladly walk all over you. Jordan Peterson has admitted to being highly agreeable many times, yet he is highly intelligent. I don't think that even explains just how so. As such, he will passionately and furiously, yet respectfully, disagree with people when necessary. However... He will gladly change his opinion if presented with an educated, well-researched, conflicting opinion. Yet, this isn't exactly what this chapter is about, in my opinion. I believe it is more to do with the attributes of a healthy relationship rather than a toxic one. In a healthy relationship, you should feel comfortable and safe saying no to your partner. If you aren't and you don't, you both need to change this immediately because you're either in a toxic relationship or at the very least, an unhealthy one. Feel free to disagree with me on this, but it won't bode well. Mark is in agreement, writing, For a relationship to be healthy, both people must be willing and able to both say no and hear no. Trust is the most important ingredient in any relationship, for the simple reason that without trust, the relationship doesn't actually mean anything. Chapter 9. And then you die. In this chapter, Manson shares a harrowing story of his childhood friend who sadly passed away in an accident. It's sheer, it's gripping, and it's haunting. If I remember correctly, after that friend's passing, in an apparition, his friend said to Manson, why do you care that I'm dead when you're still afraid to live? Mark then follows this story with, oddly, it was someone else's death that gave me permission to finally live, and perhaps the worst moment of my life was also the most transformational. Okay, I don't entirely enjoy talking about this, but one of my friends passed away in a car accident when we were in year 11. It ripped me apart. My 16-year-old brain couldn't comprehend it. I couldn't process the emotions which riddled me. I refused professional help. I cried regularly, seemingly endlessly, but I felt no better. What pulled me out of this? Well, self-reflection, self-awareness, and time, most importantly. One day, when visiting her grave with another one of my friends, we spoke about what we remembered of her. I remembered her matter-of-fact honesty, brutal focus on telling the truth, and fierce trust and honesty towards her small circle. This reflection allowed me to change my thought process. Due to knowing her deeply, I realised that, if she was to look down on me and talk to me right now, she would tell me to knock it the fuck off, to live life presently and ferociously as she had. As such, I tried my best to focus on my studies, completed my HSC, went to university, graduated with a bachelor's degree, went on to teach in both Australia and the UK, and later joined the army. These might seem like impressive feats, but I also suffered from depression for years after her passing. I became terrifyingly proficient in hiding my true feelings and emotions. I was more than proficient in acting like I was okay, even though I wasn't. People with depression often wear a mask which displays a carefree attitude, a happy-go-lucky demeanor, and even, at times, an outwardly joyous personality. This is a dangerous truth. If you require help, Seek the help of your network, like I said earlier, or a trained professional. If you think a friend or family member is struggling, reach out and ask if they're okay. It really is that easy in taking the first steps towards bettering their precious life. Mark writes Without death, everything would feel inconsequential, all experience arbitrary, all metrics and values suddenly zero. Death is the only thing we know with any certainty, and as such, It must be the compass by which we orient all of our other values and decisions. You too are going to die, and that's because you too were fortunate enough to have lived. It's unfortunate that Manson only realized these truths after the death of his friend, but as per what I've just told you, I completely understand. I'm sure many of you have a similar story, and I know for a fact that you've been faced with your own adversities and challenges. However they may have presented themselves, at some point in our lives, our life will end. All we can do is live presently, fiercely, and true to our values, principles, morals, and ethics. We should not live in fear of death, but instead understand and appreciate its inevitability. That's it for this episode of Wilfred. I would apologize for it being emotional, but I'm not going to. Depression, you know, it's still hard to talk about, and I feel that I owe it to you guys to share my own story, and hopefully that inspires you to seek help yourselves if you need it. Again, that's it for this episode of Wilfred. What I learned from reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson, an educational discourse. The most recent episodes of Wilfred have contained around 3,000 words. This one, however, almost 5,000. It was a lot of work. It really was. For any new listeners, I read and highlight a particular book, write a script, record, edit, and release each episode of Wilfred all within a week. As such, if you could please rate 5 stars and follow the pod, that would be much appreciated. I generally want you to succeed, excel and prosper in life, which is exactly why I'm releasing this free content on a weekly basis. Please know that your support is very much appreciated. Wherever you choose to consume this content, whether that's on Spotify or elsewhere, thanks so much for the support. I hope this is extended to my next one.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, until then, stay driven. Who the fuck let Barbara back on the stage? Get her off! You're going to have to catch me, you little bitch.
1: Bob dun Hey, what are you still doing here, you bastard? Get out of
0: here.